Well, hello. Great to see you. Um, as Kenny said, uh, it's great, wasn't it, on what Thursday to be together as a church um, to hear about the year that's ahead of us. Um, it was as we heard the news about the Queen, so it was really quite a sort of dramatic evening, actually, um, uh, of change. Uh, but it's great to meet again together uh, now and to hear from God's word. Um, let me pray for us as we start. Father God, uh, thank you that you know us because you made us. And uh, thank you that you help us to get our perspective right on our lives, on you and on all of history and the future. We pray that um, we would be humbled by you to be able to hear from you today uh, through your word. Pray you'd help me to communicate well and pray for all of us as we listen. Uh, Pray that you would be glorified. Amen. Okay, um, this is what we're doing. Uh, For the next seven weeks, we're going to be doing God's Big Picture. Um, We're going to look at the Bible in seven installments. Um, So you did the 22nd version uh, with your neighbour. 20 seconds isn't really long enough, I'm sorry. I made it harder for you, but that was part of the illustration, really. It's hard, isn't it, to to summarise the whole of the Bible in 20 seconds. Uh, But that's what we're going to try and do, not over 20 seconds, but over seven Sundays um, that are following. Um, Okay, and uh, what we talked about in our vision evening uh, was the fact that we'd love for all members of Beckhamtree Church to be opening their Bibles regularly. We sort of made that commitment to one another. Um, And yet, I guess, if you were thinking of how you might go about doing that, one of the stoppers to you doing that might be the kind of comment that says, or the feeling of, well, I just don't know my Bible well enough. I know bits of the Bible really well. But there's bits of the Bible that I just didn't even know existed or never even looked at, and I wouldn't even know where to start. Um, I'll show you this photo. And you've got to tell me what it is. What's that? Anyone? Have a guess? Sorry? A cell? Yeah, it could be like a really, like, she's thinking scientifically, magnifying glass. It's actually a carrot, okay? Carrot, okay, what, next one? So it's obvious, isn't it? I mean, come on. Um, this one here? I'll give you a clue. I'll give you a clue. You, you, all of the people over the age of 25 have had, had this today. Coffee, right? Coffee. Um... When you see just part of a picture, it's really hard, isn't it, when you don't know the whole thing. You can get confused about looking at just one part because you need to have the context of the whole thing. And it's a bit like that when we want to understand the Bible, when we want to um, hear from God uh, in his word. Um, if you just jumped into a bit of the Bible, you would, you would be able to understand some things about what's happening then. But in order to apply it in the right way to your lives now, um, in order to, uh, to see whereabouts it fits into the whole story of the Bible, it does help, doesn't it, to have the, the sort of second version, the second picture there. What is the Bible as a whole? And that's why we're doing this, is so that um, hopefully through doing this, um, you can go away and you, you'll find that when you're op- opening different parts of your Bible, you'll have a framework 
how to understand the bit of the Bible that you're looking at there. Okay, this is the middle of the carrot. Okay, I need to ditch that illustration, but this is the middle of the carrot, or this is the edge of the carrot, or, you know, what's going to happen afterwards. Okay? Um, I'll, I'll be referring to the book... Um, should have a copy of um, if you don't have a copy of this book uh, I'd recommend you getting it because what we're doing on, on church on Sundays is going to really closely follow this same uh, structure and if you get the book and you read the chapters you might think well Rob's just preaching what's in here um, that's fine I don't mind you knowing that um, I borrow all of my best things from, from, from people who know more than me um, but it also has some Bible study questions at the end so it will help us to apply what we're hearing because we don't just want this to be something where we think oh, well I know the Bible a bit better but I don't really know how it relates to me and what my response to it should be um, so those Bible study questions at the end of each chapter um, will be the questions that we look at in our small groups um, there's also I'll put it up on the screen. Uh, um, there's also a, like a Bible timeline um, on the very last page. And what that does is it shows where, whereabouts we're up to with our seven sessions. Okay? So by the end of today, in about half an hour's time, 25 minutes, uh, we will be here. That's where we would have got to. And then next week we'll do this section then you get the idea okay uh, but what that would do is you've got a timetable uh, a timeline there and you can have a look back at it and think okay well I, I know roughly where I am in the, in the story of the bible because that's whereabouts in the bible I'm looking is that right? great um, how will this be different from a normal sermon series okay well we've seen quite a lot of uh, footage haven't we of like drones or planes flying over London uh, in the events that have taken place in this last week and it will feel at times a little bit like that usually we, w- we would just take a small chunk of the Bible and we'd look at it in detail we look at most of the details within it but if you're taking a helicopter ride across London there's not the time is there to, to notice every face in the crowd or every detail on every building you might just make some uh, allusions to the fact that we're flying over St Paul's, we're flying over Westminster Abbey, you just make a few references to the things as you go. Unless you hover and stay put, which is not what we want to do, um, we wouldn't be able to take it all in if we did that. So it's going to feel a little bit different. Imagine the, the, that kind of experience where you're taking in large uh, sections, large chunks of the Bible, and you're thinking of it as uh, you're just taking in the view rather than looking at the details. So what that means is, uh, today we're going to be looking at three chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 to 3, um, and that means that you, I've, I've asked you to read it beforehand so that you, you get a feel of it, uh, but I'm not going to have time to mention every detail. I'm just going to mention some things as I go through. Um, and we will have a time for questions at the end of each of these um, Bible overview sessions, and we'll have, as I said, the questions uh, in our small groups on Wednesdays and Thursdays Um, right without further ado um, part one uh, which is part one is called God's kingdom established God's kingdom established 
We get in the first pages of the Bible how God decides to start telling us his story. That's what we get in the first few pages of the Bible. It's not the start of the story in all, is it? Because God has existed since ages past. We learn of in Ephesians 1 that God existed before the creation of the world. Eternally in relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we've sung about. Um, so the, this is not the start of the story, but this is the start of the God, God's revealed word in the Bible. And how does God decide to start that story? With the story of creation. With how it all came to be. And I guess if we were to uh, approach Genesis, as I guess we think, don't we, that Genesis is about, um, it's just going to explain to us how the world came to be. It's just an explanation. We need to know how it came to be. That's the chapter that tells you how. Well, it, it definitely is that. Okay, it will explain to you how the world came to be. But it does more than that. It tells you what God's intention is for the thing that he has made. There's a big difference there, isn't it? One is just saying, oh, this is how it happened. The other one is saying, well, this is God's intention, purpose for the thing that he has made, for the world he has made. Um, So we're going to look at that. God's kingdom established. And what is the goal of it? What's it there for? Um, I'm just going to briefly take you through the first five days of creation. Um, They're in there in chapter one. It tells us that God created the heavens and the earth. And in the beginning, there was darkness. The earth was formless and empty. And on day one, God divided, separated light from darkness. On day two, he separated the skies above, the water above from the water in the seas, with the sky in the middle. And on day three, he... Uh, separated the seas from the dry land. He made dry land appear. You see him separating, ordering things. And so on day three, he planted all of the seed-bearing trees and fruits and bushes on day three, when he separated out the land. On day four, he fills uh, the, the seas, is it? Is that right? No, day four, he creates two lights. He creates... Uh, Two lights to govern, one to govern the day, one to govern the night. And on day five, he starts filling that creation. First, he fills the waters and the skies. Uh, Next, he fills the land, uh, fills, yeah, waters, skies. Then he fills the land on day six. And it's on day six that he creates man. So you see, there's there's an ordering going on here. There's a separating that God is doing. And he's doing it simply by saying simply by speaking, but he's bringing order and he's filling his creation. God is the agent, he's the one doing it. He's doing it through his word, he's, he's ordering and filling. And then, the day six, it shows where one, the goal of creation is to create man and to have man in his image. He's created this good world, this, inhabit, this habitation for man, uh, this good place, and he puts man in it, into it. On day six. It's not day seven, by the way. We'll talk about day seven in a moment. But it shows us that God is ordering, bringing order, and filling his creation. And that 
mankind is the goal of that creation. He, he, he wants a relationship with the people that he has made. We see that, don't we, from day seven. Day seven is sort of awkwardly put into chapter two, but um, day seven is a day where they get to enjoy God. It is the, the final day. And notice, with all the other days, you get uh, morning and evening, the, the next day. On day seven, you don't get that. Look for it. There's no, there's no end to the seventh day. And that's because there is an eternal nature to this enjoyment of God. This rest with him. It shows how much that is why, why God creates. He intends that we enjoy his creation with him forever. So this is the kingdom that God has, has made. God's people, made a people for himself. He's put them in his place with him to live under his rule, willingly, joyfully. And it says on that sixth day that it was very good. It really is wonderful to live with God in his kingdom. And that's what we see from these opening chapters to the Bible. God's kingdom is a wonderful place to be. Living under his rule. Enjoying the blessing of that. And that's how the Bible opens up. That's, that's how God decides to, to show us what his grand story of the Bible is. That's the first instalment. So it must be pretty significant for whatever's going to happen next um, in the story. Um, I just want to point out two verses from there. Um, if you grab your Bibles first, I think it is, of chapter um, 1. If you want to just look down at that. Verse 26, chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Uh, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let us make man in our image. And God says to that man, here's your job. Your job is to fill the earth. Have we heard that before? And to rule over the earth, to bring order to that earth. That's exactly what God did in the first six days, five and a half days of creation. He brought order and filled his creation. And he gives man the same wonderful purpose and one wonderful job to do. Fill the earth, multiply, and subdue the earth. Bring order. Bring, bring a good order to the, to the creation that I've made. Um, so we have a purpose. We each have a purpose. We're always, aren't we, trying to find our purpose in life. Um, we, I'm sure if you typed, what is my purpose, into Google, um, you'd have... A whole host of suggestions, um, even though they don't know you at all, but somehow they know your purpose in life. Um, but, you know, where, what is my purpose? What is my place? Why am I here? What, what it? How do I view myself, my identity, my dignity? My... It all comes from who we think we are. And here, in the first chapter of the Bible, we get told who we are. 
We're God's creation, made by him for relationship with him in his world, living under his rule, enjoying the blessing of that. Forever. Not just a now thing, it's forever. And it's such a wonderful picture. If you don't get excited by that, I don't know what would excite you, um, because it is a wonderful picture. Um, God bless them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion. You know, God's giving them a rule, just like him. They get to be like God. In some measure, they get to reflect what he is like. Um, And that shows us really that we have a place in God's kingdom. And yet, the story of the Bible also speaks about the fact that we are evicted, rejected from that kingdom. And we're just going to look at that now. Um, So if you turn with me in uh, Genesis chapter 3. It's a big turning point in the Bible and it's already only three chapters in. Uh, let's read together from uh, verse 1. Uh, just read, read down for a bit. Uh, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the tree, fruits of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. If God's perfect kingdom is ruled, governed by him, by his word established by his word what is satan's attack going to look like it's going to undermine call into question god's word he has to attack god's word and how does he do it um if you look down did god actually say causing doubt but he's distorting you shall not eat of any tree in the garden why what's he saying there He's saying God's not good. God's not really that good. You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Well, that's not what God said. He's casting God as being a miserly, uh, you know, grumpy guy who doesn't really want to give you anything. You kind of have to prize it from his dead fingers. You know, did, did God say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? God is not good. He hasn't, he's not generous, he's not providing for you. He's withholding stuff from you. Um, If one side is distortion, the other side is doubt. Um, You look down with me, um, uh, so Eve does know what God has said. Presumably Adam has told her because she wasn't around when God told Adam. So Adam has faithfully passed on the word of God and said, um, she knows that God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. She adds a bit about touching it, but lest you die. And then the serpent said to the woman, verse 4, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and that you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So the first tactic, distorting God's word. Second tactic, just causing doubts. God is not true. 
He's not good or he's not true. He's lying to you. You will not surely die. God is lying to you because he knows that you're going to get something that he doesn't want you to have. He's lying to you. Satan attacks God's word and we fall for it every time. We fall for it hook, line and sinker. God is not good. God is not true. And what do we do? We say, I believe that. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to believe that God is not true. I'm going to believe that God is not um, good. And, um, and that I would be better off without him. That is the big decision, isn't it? They're saying, uh, we don't want God to rule us. We want to rule ourselves. <laughs> the irony of it is, they think they're free from the master. Really, they're just switching master. Who do they end up obeying? That's the snake. They're getting their marching orders from a snake, a serpent. So they're not free from a master. They're just switching master from a good master who loves them, who's given them all of this, this great place to be with him and the enjoyment of him and who he is. And he's true and good. And they're switching it for a bad master. One who deceives, distorts, lies, and ultimately wants to destroy them. Um, if the picture we had of the God's kingdom established, the kind of um, chain of command is God, man, animals, what's happened here? <laughs> animals, man, God. The, the humans are saying we be, we believe, we're listening to the animals and, and God is not the one we're going to listen to. He answers to us. It's a devastating decision. And it, as I said, it's one we've all repeated in our lives. We don't want God to rule us. Why would we want God to rule us? He's spoiling our fun. We do a better job of ruling ourselves. And by the way, this tree of knowledge and good and evil, um, it's not just knowing what's good and evil they already knew that um, it's deciding what is good and evil that's God's job so what they were saying is we want to be lawmakers not happy with the lawmaker we want to decide what's good and evil and we've done the same thing haven't we so we get this picture of the perfect kingdom that God established and we get this tragic picture of life outside of God's kingdom so you take all of those things on there. Um, if God's kingdom is God's people in God's place, under his rule, experiencing his blessing, what, what picture do we get in chapter 3 of Genesis? Or after chapter 3 and following? Where we get people who don't want to be God's people. They get chucked out of the place that God has made for them. Then They don't want his rule. They say no to God's rule. And they get curses. Chapter 3, uh, if you look down with me, um, uh, verse 8. Sorry, let's read, let's read from verse uh, 7. And just, just have a look and see how different, see what's changed in the atmosphere of, of the pe- how the people relate to one another, how they relate to God. Have a look, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God 
walking in the court garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This is, this is pretty significant, isn't it? The first picture we get of life outside of God's kingdom, saying we want to rule ourselves, is they want to cover themselves. They want to hide from each other. They want to hide who they are from each other. So they have this, sew the, 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 the leaves together and have this covering because they feel their shame. They want to hide from God so their leaves are not enough to cover them. So they'll go behind the bush, behind the leaves that are covering them. Because they know that if God was to see them, they would be aware of their sin. They're guilty. They feel exposed. And the picture of them outside of God's kingdom is not in relationship with God. <laughs> running away from God Um, whereas they had the closeness of that relationship they've lost it all and then you hear Lord God pursuing them where are you and the the man said uh, and he said I heard the sound of you and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself he said who told you that you were naked have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat the man said the woman not just the woman the woman whom you gave me. What's he, what's he doing here? He's not, he's not even blaming the woman. He's blaming God. Just a chapter before, end of chapter uh, uh, 2, you hear him sing this lovely song in verse 23. This is at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out. He can't stop saying, saying enough good things about this woman that God has made for him. It's a praise song and yet... Here he is saying, God, if you hadn't given me this woman, this would not have happened. Ducking, diving, it's not my fault. I'm not going to face the, the, the blame of this. Same thing with the woman. The woman said, well, if you had not made this snake, God, who deceived us, then... Um, so she's not saying she's responsible or that she's, guilt, that she's taking responsibility for it. And then you get the, what we get in verse 14 to 19. And we'll just quickly look through it now. Because I think it does show the flip side of this kingdom. Um, the Lord God said to the serpent. So in verses 14 down to uh, verse 16. He pronounces curses on the serpent. Who is Satan. And on, in verses seven, sorry, 16. He pronounces curses on the woman. And on 17 through to the end 19. Curses on the man. And what do we get here? Well, we get um, the curse on the, on the snake, the serpent. Uh, there will be this war between his offspring and the woman's offspring. So man will have this fight against the serpent. Um, he will want to kill, kill the serpent. Um, they will always be at war. And then to the woman, you get pain. But particularly pain in what? Childbirth. How does that relate to what God's purpose for mankind was? Filling the earth and multiplying. So the purpose for which God made them is still going to be their purpose and be what they do. But, but now they would be suffering. Be characterized by a pain in doing that. No longer be an enjoyable experience. And any women here who's kept, carried a child... And giving birth to a child will tell you, but I won't go into great detail. 
um, it can be painful. And notice again, uh, so there's a warring between her and her husband as well um, in verse 16. In verse 17, we have uh, Adam. What's going to happen to his role in creation? Well, um, in pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Curse is the ground because of you. So the subduing the earth, the ordering of God's creation is going to be painful now. If the first labor that the woman was experiencing is going to be painful, his labor is going to be painful as well. It's just this labor with the soil and the ground. So there is, it's exactly everything within the good creation that God has created is now characterized by suffering and pain. And that is the world we live in, is it not? As in, these things are meant to point us to the fact that something is wrong. They're not just, oh, we get to laugh about the fact that women have a lot of pain in childbirth. We do, but we shouldn't really because it shows that there is something wrong. We're living outside of God's kingdom, under his judgment, in the world that is broken because of our sin. And the same thing with our work. Um, We all complain, don't we, about our jobs from time to time. I probably shouldn't complain about mine. But um, you you complain to to me about your jobs, um, and I might sometimes say some things about my job um, that I don't find so easy. Um, But it's hard, not just because... That's just the way it has to be. But it's hard because of this chapter. Because of what happened in Eden. Because of the disastrous choice to rule, want to rule ourselves, to say, I don't want God's rule, and the, and the result of that. Life outside of God's kingdom is characterized by pain, anger, and aggression, both in our life now and in eternity. So we talked, didn't we, about that eternal rest, where there will be an eternal judgment as well, outside of God's kingdom. So what this means for us is that the Bible sets up a story that is absolutely our story. This explains who we are, who you are, and why your life is the way it is now. It's not an accident. God intended it. And yet we live outside of God's kingdom. And if that was it... Well, apart from anything else, this would be quite a short book. Um, but if that was it, you know, that would be a hor- it would be a horrible end to the story of the Bible, wouldn't it? Would it not? Life outside of God's kingdom, we can only, it's going to be characterized by pain and suffering. It's only ever going to bring God's judgment in the end. And that's it. And that should be it, really. That's all we deserve from God. And yet, there is this wonderful, uh, even amongst uh, the curses that God is pronouncing... Um, in verse 15 if you look with me at the end of verse 15 it might not have even been at the time that that Adam uh, that the serpent or or Adam and Eve saw any particular significance to this when God was saying this but um, it says in verse 15 um, as he says I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed or your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you, the serpent, shall bruise his heel. And it's a a really odd little detail, isn't it? You could just think, okay, well, he's describing the kind of, they're going to war at each other, it's just a bit more detail on that. But there is one 
he that is promised here. It's not a, a many, it's not a they. They, the offspring, it's he, the seed. The seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's head, will crush the bad master. There is one who is coming, who is going to crush the bad master, put an end to him. And the people who have gone with this bad master and said, you rule us and realize this tragic mistake. And all of the ramifications of that. God is saying, he is going to be destroyed. And one of the offspring of the woman will do that. And in the process of doing that, that offspring will die. That's what that verse predicts, isn't it? You shall bruise his heel. If you get a snake bite, um, has anyone been bitten by a snake? No, I almost got bit by a snake, by the way. Um, from very deadly snakes in South Africa. Don't, you know, don't go to South Africa. It's, there's a lot of snakes in South Africa. If you get bitten by a snake, particularly at this time, I guess, you're, you're going to die. No anti-venoms, that kind of thing. You're going to die. Um, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There is one who is going to crush the bad master. Crush Satan. And yet in the process of that, he is going to suffer and die. And so there's this wonderful just glimpse of how God is going to restore mankind to his kingdom. We, if, we, if it wasn't that, if that was the end of the story, we'd be outside of God's kingdom facing his judgment. And yet there's this wonderful glimmer of how God is going to restore us to his kingdom through this one offspring, one seed. And so we've got other things to look at in future weeks, but I think that's just a, a, a glimpse of it here in the opening chapters. Kingdom established by God, God's people in God's place under his rule, experiencing something of the blessing of that, the joy of relationship with God in his place. And yet they said, no, we don't want that God. And they end up outside of the kingdom where there is only pain and suffering and judgment. And yet God says, you know what? I planned planned since before the beginning of time that there would be a way back for you into God's king, into my kingdom for sinners who have rejected me and it's a wonderful thing that we get to learn about together um, in future weeks to come um, I've basically just done the first two chapters of that book and we put them together so that we can cover this in seven weeks um, but has anyone got any questions um, maybe chat to the person next to you um, if you think of anything that you want to ask um, I'm not going to answer all the questions now because we don't have time, uh, but maybe you could just chat to the person next to you and see if there's any questions. Um, go for it. Father God, we praise you that you are sovereign over your creation, over us. And yet the sinful rejection of you is stupidity and it's so devastating. We've all arrogantly said, why should you rule over us? We'd be better off doing it ourselves. Every time we sin, we say that. So we pray um, that you would work in our hearts to see that actually life in your kingdom is best for us, um, even if we can't be there of our own merit. Uh, would you help us to see that there is a way back uh, for us? And as, we, as the weeks go on, we pray that you would show us what that, um, the way in which you restore your kingdom.
um, to us, we pray. Amen.